Hey everybody and welcome back to In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. This week we're discussing episode 2 of Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Far From Home. I am Kevin, one of your hosts. And, and I am the other host. And my, my name is Ethan. So, oh, how you been doing since we last convened this wonderful podcast? Uh, so-so, you know, some uh, some stuff going on, but just anxious to talk about the episode i've got you know sort of on the waiting list right now for a few games that are coming out hyrule warriors age of calamity and uh cyberpunk those don't come out until november 20th so i'm kind of laying low until then on the game perfect time for me to teach you how to play chess i don't want to learn how to play chess not right now okay um got it no pressure no pressure and sipping lots of coffee also put it that I can way. hear that. Yeah. Well, you can see it because people cannot see us, but I am drinking coffee at the moment. Yes. So, yeah. And but I'm assuming you are. Uh, oh, that's a nice Starbucks cup. For those who cannot see it, sorry to tell. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> but I'm assuming. So you mentioned chess. I'm assuming that's what you've been doing. More of that. Oh yeah, I did. I actually played. I've been playing. I've been playing with my buddy John, mm. and uh, we've been playing in the park. Oh, here's a fun story actually. We went today to play in Harvard Square. Um, you know, they have those chess tables outside that are like built-in chessboard. And back in the day, there used to be, you know, people would sit there and play people for money. But right. now it's sort of like become more like a mall and they don't, it's not like that anymore. But anyway, hmm. um, we went down there. We noticed some of these old, uh, an old bus that looked like it was from the 60s. And then we saw a couple of old cars and we thought, oh, this is interesting. And then they were filming a movie in oh. Harvard Square. And they had, like, J.P. Licks. They had up an old-fashioned sign over the J.P. Licks sign, some ice cream shop. And uh, turns out it was a, it's a Julia Child biopic. I thought they, they make it another one? They, they made one of those a few years ago. They did. Well, there was more of a – it was a weird film. It was called Julie and Julia. It was a woman named Julie who was mm. cooking her way through Julia Child's famous The Art of French Cooking – and so it was a back and forth of her modern day and Julia Child in the past. But this one's like straight. Do you know who's a, Do you know who's playing her? No, no. Wow. But it was a phone booth too, put in. Oh. So that was very exciting to see. It may have been a rotary phone booth, so that was pretty. Neat. Biopics are kind of a biopics are kind of a thing now. I love biopics like, personally. Yeah. I mean, I watched the Ruth Bader Ginsburg biopic recently. Yeah. Um, on the basis of sex. That was pretty good. Yeah, the last biopic I saw was the Steve Jobs one from a couple of years ago. Not the not the Ashton Kutcher one, the other one. Fastbender? One just called Jobs. Yeah, I really yeah. like that because I like... Um, um, then you get the Mr. Rogers ones. Yeah, I like the uh, the writer there, Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. You know, I mean, like he's kind of a little... like he, he does the same kind of thing all the time, but I like the the way he... the framing of it where it was not his whole life, it was just these release of these different products. I right. That was neat. And it ended with with him about to do the iPhone, which I thought was yeah. interesting. Because I would have thought that they would have maybe ended that with the iPad, but the iPad is kind of, in a way, an extension of the iPhone because it uses the same principles and same OS, at least it did initially. Yeah. So, yeah. And probably also the relationship with his daughter did the full circle they wanted right. by that point. But I think Aaron, there was a time, I don't even know the status of it now, but I guess Aaron Sorkin was supposed to make a biopic on Lucille Ball and Kate Blanchett was supposed to play her. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of TV movies about Lucille Ball. 
all focusing yeah. on like mostly focusing on the troubled marriage that she had with Desi, but and I think a lot of yeah. them are very much um, tabloid. That's what I was thinking of. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. If there's a market for a reasonably, seemingly somewhat high-budget Julia Child biopic, there must be one for Lucille Ball because, mm. you know, aside from the movie Julie and Julia, I don't know that a lot of people remember Julia Child fondly or any well, younger people. And that Lucille Ball biopic could end with her about to make signing the deal to do Life with Lucy, which we talked about on our other <laughs> podcast, Primetime Oddities. Yes. Yeah, it'd be great if they could include Star Trek creation of Star Trek in the biopic too. Fitted in someplace, yeah. Yeah, and her fighting to to get it made. It would be good. Well, this week yeah. we're discussing the episode "Far from Home," and before we get into this, into this discussion, this is just to take note. Last week was called "That Hope Is You," part one. And we looked at a list of episodes of the season, and that hope is you. Part two is not listed anyplace, so I'm I'm kind of confused, but because as history has shown us, just in television and just any medium, part two immediately follows part one. So that's true, but yeah, this season's list tells us that part. Three does not immediately follow part two. Right, because unification three, which is a really nice attention to de- de- which is a really nice attention to detail, because unification, of course, is a next generation episode, but it wasn't referred to as unification part one or unification part two. It was just called unification one, unification two, which I mm. thought was always strange because none of the other part. None of the other two-part episodes follow that same naming convention. And this one is just called Unification 3. Unification 3. So, and as we all know, those listening to this, know, we know that Unification was all about a potential Vulcan-Romulan alliance, re, uh, but Unification, really, that Spock was trying to spearhead. So, given that we're in this new world now, we don't know the status of the Vulcans or the Romulans, for that matter, so... Just based on the episode title alone, does that mean that are we are we revisiting this? Right. Are we going to see them in some way, the Romulans and the <clears throat> Vulcans? Now, wait. If I think this through, I can probably understand it. So this would be the future where Romulus is destroyed, right? It would be. But this is, yeah, don't forget, okay. this is 900 and... Well, at that oh, yeah, point, that's like 900. It's well, it's a little under 900 years later at that point. But yes. yeah. So it, maybe you could get some answers because we were wondering from Picard, like what 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 of the rest of the Empire? We really only saw the secret services of right. the well, as we, islands, and then we saw a few people at the bar. Well, and as we said back then on Picard, is that the, even though what was it? It was a oh god, I'm now now I'm forgetting. I think it was like a decade later or something like that where it was supposed to take place. It seemed as if the Romulans had some semblance of their shit together. But just from what we saw, we didn't know how far-reaching this was. So you have to figure that if they were able to do... Right. Yeah. I mean, they had a fleet of ships. And that may have only been... Right, that's what we did see at the end. Yeah. But who knows, maybe that was only, it was only the Zat Vaj that had any semblance of power yeah. left. Potentially. We don't Potentially. know. Potentially. We don't know. So. And it'll be interesting to see what the status of all of that is 
in this in this new world. I mean, and that's I think that's what excites me about sort of this season of the show is that I mean, really, they're free to do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, right. We're going I mean, to Earth not... next week. That'll be exciting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Although it didn't look very exciting from the trailer. You know, what I'm afraid of is that that's going to be something that's going to be held off until the very last few minutes of the episode. Like, they're not going to arrive at Earth until the end of the episode, and then they're not going to get into it until the week after that. But Because that's kind of the big thing, right? What's the... What's going on? Like, there still needs to be... There still is some orient... We still need to get oriented in some way to see what this world is. But as I was saying, like, that's what excites me about this season, is that it's so far into the future that they can really do anything they want. Now, I didn't view continuity in the past as an issue because I I never felt like as a viewer like I was being it was holding me back from wanting things cuz I just knew like, oh, this is where they are and I know that they can't do this this and this. But now they're really in a future where they can just base they're so far removed from everything that they can just really do whatever they want. And Right, and hopefully that's we'll what excites that. me. Yes, hopefully it'll play out well. I didn't realize like how much I really wanted that until I got it right. Like I liked discovery in the time it was set initially. And I know strange new worlds are doing this too. In a way it's, there are new areas to explore and there are some holes you can plug in that you need to plug, but you are sort of held back from doing a lot of things. And I think, as I said, as we were wrapping up season two, I think one of the reasons they went to the future was that they wanted to tell stories that were much larger that, that time would not was not allowing them to do. That's just my guess. And I'd imagine creatively that's extremely freeing. So yeah. Well, but, what are your thoughts on this episode? So I like this episode quite a bit. It's it's a slight retread for what happened last week. Like we saw what happened when Michael arrived, now we're seeing what happens when the Discovery crew arrives. So just, they share that in common. Obviously, they have entirely different experiences. But, yeah, I, I liked what happened this week. I, I thought this was a interesting and very sort of well-done episode. There were a lot of great character moments. I felt like, in, in our discussions before we were doing this, as an audience member, I felt like it made more sense to me. It felt more related to me because... Of course, there is that line, and we'll get into this, that Saru says that really we are in the same, we the audience are in the exact same position as the crew. In that, you know, Saru says, I know that you want to know what's out there, telling the crew, and that's what we the audience feel. We want to know what's out there too. We want to know where they've landed. So, yeah, and I like that he says, I know you want to know what's out there, but first we have to deal with what's in here. Which I think is true also because we rather we need to catch up with our characters and sort out the relationships and where they all currently stand. Because um, it wouldn't be a show if it was just, right. let's see what's going on on Earth. Let's see what's going on well, with the Vulcans. And even though we're in that same position last week when Michael arrived, it, it feels different only because we're sort of with Michael the whole time and she just goes off and explores immediately. So we're just seeing it as she does. It's not like when Discovery crash lands, they instantly run outside and say, where are we? Right? So, like... Right. Yeah. Plus, she is very limited in what she can find out. She's a person on a planet mm-hmm. with no tech, hardly. 
and Discovery exactly. is a starship. They can they can do whatever they want, not whatever, because they're damaged. But you know, right. they have more options than she did. Right. It's 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 the Star Trek thing. It's the ship arriving in an unknown part of space. What's out there? What's on this planet? Arriving on an unknown planet. What's out there? Right. So. Yes, and it is the technology being broken in just the right way that the plot needs. Right. Of course. Also. Right. So because they don't can't have scanners because that would be too easy. Of course. Of course. So that's, that's not a criticism either. It's just, well, and let's oh, be honest. Scanners are not exciting, right? You want to actually get out on the ground and see it. I liked it a lot better than last week. After last week, I was um, despondent. No, I wasn't, I wasn't that invested to be despondent, but I really was thinking, oh, no, what if I don't like the show this season? How am yeah. I going to do a podcast every week? But this, this week, um, I felt a lot better about it, and I feel that it almost in some ways, was an answer to the things I didn't like about last week. Well, remind me really because, quick. Yeah. Like, what what did you find was missing from last week? If anything. I found that it didn't... Um, let's see. I don't want to say the thing that is dumb. It didn't feel like Star Trek. But it didn't... Oh, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was odd because they kept talking. It was a few things. One, I thought there was too much um, telling, not showing. In the old storytelling, you show don't tell. Right. Where um, book kept telling her these things that happened, and I see it like, particularly the story with the the old guys with the yeah uh, deltas. You talk about the old days. We could have seen one of those. That would have been way cooler. Um, and I sort of felt like it kept insisting that the theme is that Michael is the hope, mm-hmm. but yeah, we saw nothing to indicate that. Right, and if she's supposed to bring um, the civility and order and and peace of um, Starfleet to this to the future, mm. like I said, disintegrating a bunch of Andorians didn't sell the on right. theme. And so this week, I felt um, they they lived up to that a lot more. Yeah, and also I think you know we've talked about in the past that we find. Michael Burnham to be the one of maybe the least compelling character in the show for us, though she is the lead. Yeah, it was just a lot of Michael Burnham. I feel like, and I missed the crew. I feel like this week was like this week was what was what I wanted to see last week. In some ways, I liked last week, but one of the things that you said that I really liked was that you felt like they wasted too much time getting to the most important scene, which was really the end of the episode. Yeah. And I agree with you on that because given that the season of this show is only 13 episodes, right? I think to myself, you only have 13 episodes, like stop wasting time and just, you know, really get to it. Yeah. Right. Like I, I have that in my, it's sort of like that to be continued mentality when you're sensing that you're sensing that to be continued coming at the end and you're just like, no, cause I don't have enough time to wrap this up. Yes. I, yes. You're watching a show and you look and you're like, wait, something five minutes left. Yeah. How can that be? Right. Yeah. Right. And that was the, that's definitely the thing. And, um, you know, the fact that, well, it's interesting too, because now we're going to be left to find out how much did any of this episode matter given that we now skipped ahead a year. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's... any of last week's episode. Right. So yeah, I don't know. I, I Yeah, we'll see. I mean... It does partially seem a little bit discouraging that the plan is, first, we're going to jump 900 and whatever, 60 years in the future. Right. 
And then we're going to jump one more in the future. I, I, For I one think, character. I think what... So we have 11 episodes left. I mean, I can't believe I'm already saying, like, we only, we only have 11 episodes left. That's more than Picard got at all. Right. But here's the thing, though. You're spending, th- you're spending two episodes already establishing where your characters are and what's going on without with only getting sort of like a morsel of what the sort of what the overall storyline of the season line of the season is going to be. So, I mean, they're going to be obviously introducing more elements to it and who knows? I mean, if this is a permanent trip into the future, it may go beyond this season. So maybe I should stop thinking like, okay, it's going to, cause I'm sort of operating on the assumption just like the last two seasons. All right. When the season ends, they're going to move on to something else, but they're going to stay in the same location. So maybe, kind of like what you were thinking Picard was going to do, maybe they will, or even this season, or last season, maybe they will actually continue into the next season. Because I can't imagine they're going to rebuild the Federation in 11 episodes, and then, okay, now they're going to go into something else, right? Right, or they're just going to go into the past, back to the future, and say... So um, so maybe maybe in a way they're not setting the stage for the season, but more for the remainder of the series. Maybe is a better way to put it. that's perhaps, per- perhaps, which hopefully. would be fine with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think the second episode did better at setting up, like the the, the theme of this. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So let's get into the deets. Let's get into, I'll get into the deets. So the episode opens on a very ex- on a very sort of exciting note because it opens up with the discovery coming right out of the wormhole. The crew's unconscious, but then they wake up. They have no control over the ship leading Discovery to crash land onto a planet right into a glacier. And I will say that, obviously, I'm not a Starfleet captain or a Starfleet officer, but I can't imagine being a bridge officer, anything being more terrifying than hearing your helm's officer telling you all to brace, meaning that there's nothing I can do to stop this ship from crashing. (laughs) So, Yeah. yeah, so the ship crash lands on this glacier, and, you know, they do the Star Trek thing, consoles are exploding, everyone gets get, is getting thrown forward. The interesting thing is that De- Kayla Detmer, the one who used to affectionately call I-Lady, mm-hmm. flies over her console, smacks her head, and she's very out of it. And mm-hmm. they, may, they make a point to revisit this several times throughout the episode. So naturally, yeah. as a viewer, you're just thinking, like, you know, what the hell is going on? It did seem like her eye attachment got damaged at first, too. But yeah. Yeah, so, I, I mean... I mean, I can't even theorize what it is. I mean, all I can maybe really think of is, you know, did the injury she sustained sort of like knock something out that now changes the way she is? Like, you know, I was also thinking of like when Arium was hacked last season and then that changed. But this there's nothing. This is not comparable to that because it, it wasn't some sort of like outside force, the cause of it. I mean, it's a blunt injury. So it's clearly changing something yeah. about her. So... I mean, maybe sort of like with Saru when he lost his threat ganglia. I, I don't know. It, it seems like it could be anything. Well, she said she didn't have a concussion. They told her that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I, it's interesting. I didn't. I did think it was odd that it was so prominent, but I didn't think it would matter. Right. Um, right. It's interesting that I did he remember reading somewhere that, oh, the rest of the bridge crew has a lot more to do this season. And I thought, getting cured from a concussion, I didn't think would be the things that they get to do this season. But, yeah. you know, but I like to see her have some lines. Oh, yeah. Because I, I like her. And I like, oh, whoa. We'll see. And that's my hope. 
sort of like the way they were setting this up last season, can we get some more screen time with them? And it seems like in this episode, maybe we will. I mean, Bryce played a key role in getting the sh- wanting to get the ship fixed. Yeah, but, but we did have the unceremonious departure, I think, of Osnulis, who yes, is the alien did. that's been there from the beginning. We did. But here's, here's my question about them arriving in the future, because I, I didn't think of this last week, and it just occurred to me as I was watching the episode again. So when they emerge in this new century, they emerge right in front of a planet. Discovery does, and Burnham does, respectfully. Is it the same planet? I don't know. I think it I is. I know, they both have lakes. I guess that doesn't tell you much. So, but... Now, they left the 23rd century. There was no planet nearby, right? So I guess my question is, theoretically, wouldn't they emerge in the same location just 930 years later? I mean, I know... Well, think about this. I know in space... Revolve. Right. You know, you could be where Earth is in space, and then a little while later, you aren't going to see Earth at all. And it's not going to be back for a year. Well, so my... The thing I had noted after that is that... There were a couple of episodes on Enterprise. There was one episode on, of Enterprise specifically where they uh, time traveled by accident. It's called E Squared. And the way they were able to determine that they were in the wrong location was that um, Mayweather notes that the stars are not in the same place. He bases right. it based on the location of the stars. I only Now, the reason I only say this is because, okay, Discovery is deciding to be scientifically accurate. We're like, this is something that Trek has not really done before in this sense. Well, they just they time okay. travel. But... Like in, yeah. Stars and planets are very different. Right. Star planets rotate around a star. Stars they move, but they generally place. Right. So I, I don't, I, yeah, I mean, I know that Basically in the expanding too. I know that I in know the finale of Discovery last season, they were near the planet where um. Oh God, the Queen. I can't remember her name. Was from. She was oh, in right. Trek. Yeah. The so they were they were within the vicinity of that planet. So I'm thinking like, yeah. oh, is is it the same planet? But yeah, it was yeah. interesting that they didn't have any concern about that. Right. Yeah. Well, Pike yeah. specifically instance, said, "Let's move away from this planet because this is not their conflict." Yeah. They, so they weren't but fighting instance, like an orbit when, of the planet. Right. But yeah. Tilly saw the, she mentioned like, "Oh, there's a piece of planet in the sky." She didn't think like, "Oh, I hope that's not my friend, the princess." Right. Right, because they, I mean, they make a point to say we don't know where we are, and I would have thought that they would have at least drawn the conclusion like, well, when we left, we were here. Would we theoretically be in the same place or near the same yeah, place? Yeah, when you right, yeah. Because how else would Michael slash her mom have been doing um, the bursts in the precise locations? Right, unless they could know. Unless they would arrive in the same place that they traveled. Yeah, because Michael sent the suit back into the wormhole, and it's emitted that last red signal in that exact location of where the wormhole was in the 23rd century. But you would think by the time they emerge in this century, wouldn't they be in the same... I mean, even though the stars and the planets may be different, they're they're literally in the same same sector, right? One would think, yeah. Yeah, so I... Well, something to look at as we go forward. I mean, semantics probably, but like, yeah, it could be nothing, yeah. but yeah. To sort of bring it back to what we were saying earlier, Saru gives that speech about the crew having an expedited need to know, about wanting to know what is out out there, which again is exactly how I think we, the audience, feel. I think overall in this episode, I do like Doug Jones's performance as Saru. I just find him to be a very sort of comforting presence in this episode just within the face of this unknown 
as we kind of agree, and as the episode goes, I feel like he is kind of Saru himself, is sort of laying the Starfleet mantra on pretty thick. But yeah, see, I I really appreciated the laying Starfleet on thick. I did not appreciate the warm, fuzzy captain for mm. some reason. I well, thought, yeah, I don't know if it was something about the performance or just something about a captain being like that, but I really right. felt that he was almost. I mentioned it earlier. It was almost as if Counselor Troy was the captain. But as the Discovery lands, obviously we've got the Star Trek problem. The ship cannot immediately go back into orbit. They need something. This is where we get into the typical Trek plot. So they find out that one of the trans-staters needs a complete rebuild. And it just so happens they're low on what they need to actually do it. So they have to go outside and find something to repair it. And, you know, we have that typical scene in the conference room where, like, they're trying to, which I'm sure you appreciate, they need to figure this out, and we need to go out there and figure this out. Mm-hmm. And, but, Giorgio makes an appearance, and she arrives with bits of Leyland on her shoes, and insists that repairing the communication system should be priority, because they need to, they want to, lo- she wants to locate Michael. Which, of course, leads to some very interesting tension between Saru and her. I love this. Yeah. Because here you got to see a few things. You got to see Saru assert that he is the captain. Yep. You got to see him assert that they are Starfleet. They're not just going to go around killing people. Mm. Um, so I think that was, that was big. I was confused, though, because she killed Leland, and that's fine. But weren't there little nanoprobes? Yeah, is that what mattered? Well, we didn't. We saw like the nano. We saw like the nanoprobes or whatever they were, the Borg nanoprobes as we thought they were, mm-hmm. come out of them. But we didn't actually see what happened to his body. But like he didn't. It wasn't like because we do eventually see the remains of him getting shoveled up in the spore drive bay, and it wasn't like he exploded against the glass and just splattered everywhere. At least that we saw. Right. Oh, I think when George O. Savage came in, it was like, well, I had to finish off unless he, Unless she did something off screen that we just didn't see with his remains, right? Yeah, it still didn't... I mean, maybe that was their attempt to answer that question of, well, why did you bring yeah. control with you? Right. I don't... I didn't I didn't feel satisfied by it, but I don't care anymore. You know. I'll, but they I'll didn't, as I thought, as I wanted them to do, they didn't bring that up at all. Like, nobody said... Why are we even here? We killed him before, you know, so. Yeah. I need to let the demon of that is season two go. So, but then we even go, we have a nice moment kind of in sickbay. So Stamets awakens finally, and he insists on with on helping re- with repairs to Discovery, and Culber's saying no. Now, Culber, by the way, seems to have just gone, like, I don't want to say full circle, but, like, he's definitely not the person he was last season. Like, now he's, like, unbelievably assertive. He's... Basically ordering Stamets around. I mean, he's the doctor ordering the patient, right? But yeah. way more assertive than we last saw him at the end of last season. And I liked the interplay between the two of them in that moment. Yes, and I think, yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah. But I know I kind of skipped ahead a second ago to go to the conference room scene, but I have some notes on that. So just really quick. So unlike the conference room scenes from last season, I found this, I found this one at least far easier to follow. I think because last season there was just so much going on and they were like trying to fit in as much as they could within the time that they had. I just remember I kept saying like I feel like people are talking too fast. I don't really know what people are saying. 
I didn't have any issue following that this this episode. That could change. Who knows? But yeah, that's fair. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It was good. They just they had a decision to make, and they were talking through how to do it. And someone wanted to do something different. And they had an argument, so that was good. Yeah, yes, I agree. Tilly Tilly seems unusually more trippy than usual, but I don't know if it's just because she's very disoriented in where she is. But she seems far more, you know, trippy is the best word I can use than she than she has in the <laughs> like spaced in, in, out kind of. Or? Yeah, like spaced out. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Um, we learned that the planet that they're on actually has an artificial atmosphere, but. Um, Tilly finds some really good, some interesting information on the planet. So she finds out that there is a settlement nearby, and Saru is a little kind of hesitant to go out there because he doesn't want to. Sort of like a, he's sort of treating it very prime directive like, in that he doesn't want to go out there and just sort of reveal himself to everybody and have any sort of influence on how this planet has developed. Despite the fact that it is a sort of post-warp civilization, he's very reticent about wanting to go out there and just sort of announce. Who they are, and there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of that old Kelpian within him, where he's saying like he's sort of treating it like a threat. He says he's saying like you know we can't assume that we're going to be welcome here, so we need yes. to kind of proceed carefully. Right, but he also is not willing to go George O's right route, which is right. unleash violence upon them. Right, over there. And I also found that over the course of the episode, I don't know if you felt this way. Did you feel like George O was a little much? And I don't mean in terms of like how much she appeared, but like sort of the way she was acting. It felt like it was. Like, if I was to, like, measure her on, on a scale and assume, like, 10 is the highest, like, it feels like she's, like, at a... she's It feels like she's at an 11 or a 12, whereas, like, last season, even though she was very much, like, you know, she was a badass, but, like, here it seems like she's behaving a little bit more out of line than she was last last season. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just the circumstances that they're in. Well, if I were to take the measure of this woman, I would say... That she is definitely where she should be, I think. I don't yeah. like the fact that she could just so easily become normal, right. which is why I still am confused by her devotion to Michael. Yeah. Still doesn't make sense. I know, I understand she was close with Michael in her world, but that was a different Michael, as everyone was. Right. So I still find it very strange. Well, and, and, I don't... She, and she doesn't seem like a sentimental person. Uh, you know, uh, mirror Giorgio. Well, and I don't think, and I think to your point, last season, I don't think we got sort of enough of that. I mean, you make a good point that, you know, it's one of those bonds that goes across universe, but this is a different Michael, and this is a different Giorgio. So even though we yeah. get sort of like hints at it, this episode seemed to make it seem as if there was a lot of that happening last season. It's almost like this was like a this was meant to be like a payoff, but there wasn't enough of it presented up front last right. season. I almost yeah. hope that there's some she has some ulterior selfish motive to it. That was the only thing that would really yeah. ring through for me. Yeah, you know, because like if I met Mirror Kevin, which you look like Mirror Kevin right now with the goatee, yeah. I wouldn't immediately be like, "Well, yeah, even though he's a murderous, you know, jerk." Hey, you can't assume I am. Well, a murderous jerk. You have a goatee, so sorry. You would be. I yeah. Well, I mean. <laughs> Well, theoretically, you, I mean, you've got a full beard going on here, so. Yeah, it's nice people have beards. <laughs> yeah, okay. Grizzly Adams and Abraham Lincoln. We, we got to do we gotta do a video um, episode one of these days so people can actually see us like yeah. this. So. so, yeah, I like, I'd rather have Giorgio be murderous because she comes from the mirror universe where everyone's murderous, so, yeah. Right. Um, well, I have, I have, I, appropriate. I have kind of a note on that, but I'm going to get to it when we actually see her again later on in the episode so 
we have a nice quick cut of engineering of somebody actually in there shoveling up the remains of Leland in the spore in the spore drive bay as Stamets and Reno, you know, begin working to repair the ship. But uh yeah, I mean and you know, it's a nice opportunity for Reno to get in some good lines like, you know, what does she say? Clean up I think she refers to him as like, you know, this guy pulling clean up on aisle five duty. So I mean this is we could just as easily say that that's as weird as the pizza bit. Yeah. Because they're like, they don't have money, right? They don't right. have grocery stores. <laughs> I, I was going to say, despite the fact they that... There's no grocery stores. Despite the fact that these characters originate from the 23rd century, they're being very topical in their jokes. Yeah. 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 I clean up on aisle... Come on, man. <laughs> well, I assume there still are supermarkets of some form in their century, and they are divided up into aisles. Maybe, I, I don't Why? know. You have replicators. I, maybe maybe yeah, but you know what? Replicators don't replace real food. And you have people have said various times over Trek's history that, oh, it's not a you can't eat that replicated That's slop. True. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, um Picard does grow grapes to make wine. It'd be a lot easier to replicate wine. I assume that there are stores in the in the future, like of something. I assume aisles are still a thing. But Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. But it would have to be so large that it requires someone to get on an intercom and say, clean up on aisle five, so like if some other employee comes and cleans it. Anyway, that's on well. Although, if one of them says Malaki, I'm going to laugh really hard. <laughs> so, but after this, so Saru and Tilly decide to head out to retrieve what they need in order to repair Discovery. And we've got some nice moments between the two of them walking across the surface of the planet trying to get to that settlement. I like that Saru... I like what Saru says to Tilly when he says, I chose you because you make a really good first impression. Yes. And that was nice. although she may be more safe with Giorgio, right. Giorgio, there's no chance for them to have any sort of a peaceful interaction with Giorgio. Giorgio's going to be scheming for the minute. Well, she gets a loose there, cannon. She's a, yeah. yeah. She's a loose cannon, but, and I got to say the world that they're on reminds me a lot of, um, skies of Arcadia, which is a game that came out on the dreamcast back in 2000, just seeing like hunks of the planet. Hanging up in the atmosphere. Uh, Reminds me a lot of that game. So Reminds me of Iceland. Uh, yeah. But Iceland doesn't have hunks of a planet hanging up in the atmosphere, does it? No. Not that I yeah. know. So one thing I caught really quick, sort of a, it's sort of like a behind-the-scenes thing. It must, I think it was a mistake. So there, there's a moment when the camera angle goes back to Tilly's point of view a couple times. And you see in the background, like really, really blurred in the background, you see what looks like hikers like on the, on the hills behind them. <laughs> Like, and I don't mean like hikers, like in the sense of like it's people of this world. Like, I'm talking like real world people who are probably near the film set. Yeah. Like way, way out of focus, and I'm just like, oh my just god. Some, just some Icelanders out for a stroll. Right. And it made me think of like the, I mean, you're a Game of Thrones fan. Wasn't that Starbucks coffee cup thing? Yeah, there was a, not a Starbucks, but that style of a cup was on the table accidentally, like, right? Like a feast scene. Yeah. Yeah. But was that I was that it was intentional, right? I don't think so. No, oh. I don't. I don't watch the show, so I don't know the story behind that. So my reference yeah. could this my comparison may not work that at all. That did happen. That did happen. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't catch that. Yeah. So, but as they're walking, of course, they make first contact with one of the locals who's way far ahead of them, and they start to follow them. Um, I like the fact that we we don't get us an exact. Um like mirror situation that Michael had, but we have a similar enough situation to what Michael had. Right. And right. I think that they, they, 
they come out, you know, maintaining their um, their their ideals. I think I think for me, like them getting on this plane, it feels like it feels more tense when they get there. And I don't know what it is. Like I, I feel more on edge when they are walking on the surface of the planet than Michael was. And I think it might have something to do with the fact that last week we saw a book like almost immediately. Mm. So I don't know. The, even though we got a we got a taste of this already last week, something about the way that that was done this week yeah. feels more tense. I think it's just because like we the audience are sort of me the audience member. I'm sort of sensing the the nervousness and the apprehension from the two of them. Yeah, and like, plus we now yeah. we know that this world is screwed up in a way, and we know the way that it's screwed up. Mm. So we we now this week we kind of know what they're in for in a way. Yeah, I, that's that's actually probably part of it too. Like now, last we, week we didn't. For all we knew, last week it could have been a perfectly peaceful, ordinary place. Right. And we know that everyone is kind of resource crazy. Mm-hmm. So we know that everyone's going to see any new stranger as a possible like source of stealing resources. So, but after this, something interesting happens. So they cut back to Discovery really quick, and there's there's a scene there. There's an exchange of dialogue between Nan, who came over from the Enterprise, and Giorgio. Giorgio yeah. asks Nan, and the reason I bring this up is because I feel like you'll have thoughts on this. Jojo asks Nan, why did you stay here? Why didn't you stay on board the Enterprise? And she says, I stayed aboard Discovery because of Arium, to honor her. <laughs> okay, yeah. And I was just like, really? I mean, I'm yeah. not saying there's anything wrong with that, but just given the given Arium's treatment by the writers last season... <laughs> like, yeah, really? I think... Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was... In response to the, I don't perhaps, know. I think cry because, of lack of love for Arium. It's like, I think it's, I think it's just because I get mad when we talk about Arium because I just think yeah, of just how yeah. poorly she was treated. But, it would have been cool if she had said, "I'm here because of Arium. I'm replacing her." Uh, yeah, if it was. I mean, there was already a great in joke. The person who replaced her was the one who actually played her in the previous season, but she played her as a. We yeah. see her as a human this time, but, but. We also get to see Linus again, who was the guy that we saw in the first episode last season, who sneezed on that Enterprise crew member in the turbo lift. I hope we get to see him again. I, I, I'd like to see him be a much more recurring role this season. But mm-hmm. interestingly enough, Giorgio takes him aside because she says, I want to talk with him. Mm. Which you're like, okay. I mean, you know that Giorgio has got something up her sleeve. Right, mm. you know that she's gonna she's gonna try to do something. You just don't know what it is, especially given the way that Saru slapped her down. You're just like, yeah, she's gonna do something. Oh yeah. But then we sort of quickly cut back to the planet service, and Saru and Tilly follow the. So that person that they encounter on the planet, they don't actually they're not actually close up to them. They're kind of far away, and they just start to follow them, which leads them to the settlement, which leads them into this local tavern, which has a very, you know, an intentionally so Western feel to it. Like they just walk into this tavern. It's very tense. Sort of a saloon. Saloon, yeah. So, and I will I say... see Han Solo in the corner. All of these aliens in this tavern, by the way, are coordinates. Coordinates. Who were seen twice on Enterprise. I just... Hmm. Uh, yeah, I just figure you like all the Enterprise references because, yeah. you know, you like Enterprise a lot. After Saru kind of... Def- until he kind of diffused the situation, we get to learn a little bit more about this world. And one of the... Uh, 
people in the tavern identifies themselves by the name of Kal. And we learn that the name of this planet is referred to, they refer to it as the colony, and they're just a bunch of local miners. And the bartenders are like really fearful that someone named Zare will have tracked Taru and Silly to the bar. Because, as they point out, you're a Starfleet vessel that crashed and you have plenty of dilithium. So somebody's probably going to want... So this guy, who they, this person who they mentioned, Zare, is probably going to be wanting that quite badly. Because obviously, mm-hmm. dilithium is at a premium oh, yeah. in, this, in this universe. So Totally. But Tilly's wanting to trade some dilithium with them. They, they sort of deal to trade some dilithium in exchange for the materials they need to build a new translator to get Discovery back up in the air. So, yeah, and that's when things I think start to get interesting when things start to go south. Right, exactly. So, the villain in question finally makes an appearance, named Zare. I think is how you pronounce it. Now, this guy shows up right as Cal is using that programmable matter to build Tilly a brand new translator. And Tilly, of course, is amazed by this new technology. And they still haven't they haven't really figured out where Tilly and Saru come from. They just kind of assume, like, they don't assume that they're time travelers, right? But um, mm-hmm. Tilly's obviously amazed by this new technology, and they're just kind of confused, like, you know, <laughs> but whatever. Not know what this is. And then the villain in question, the person who they keep, who they're clearly scared of, Zeray, shows up. Now, this guy is... A villain who, in my opinion, is like straight out of Next Generation. Like an early episode of Next Generation is what it reminds me of. I can see that, yeah, kind of that yeah. warlord vibe. Like he walks in with his henchmen, and of course they immediately mention, like, yeah, you're from the USS Discovery, you crash landed on the ship, you crash landed on this planet, and of course they want all of the Discovery's dilithium. So. Yeah, it. it so, I don't know, my hope is, like, Zeray is not a very, from what I saw in this episode, I don't find her to be a very interesting villain. And I'm just hoping, like, he doesn't come back. I'm hoping he's not, like, the villain of the season. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I well, personally, I saw him very much as just the foil for this episode, just yeah. a chance for, to kind of test them, and a chance for um, Saru to have that moment with George O., where right. he said, "You're not going to kill him. This is we are not. This is not Starfleet. It's not what we do." Right. But I gotta so, mention. Yeah, I think he was just the obstacle to overcome in this one episode. But I gotta I mention. Hope. I gotta mention one thing really quick. So, bef- so mm-hmm. I kind of jumped ahead. But before Zaray shows up, Cal mentions to Tilly as he's building this new device to them. When he finds out, like, yeah, you're Starfleet. He's like, I always hoped that you would come back. You being Starfleet. Yeah. Which. That's the second time we've heard this. Not in this episode, but just this season. We also yeah. heard it last week as well. And the sense that I'm getting from this, and maybe I could be wrong depending on how it unfolds over the next few episodes, but even though Starfleet's not around, the dilithium explosion obviously is a problem. You know, I don't know. Is this? Am I to assume that at one point this planet was a Federation planet? And, like, Starfleet was, or maybe not, but, like, Starfleet was around to sort of, like, keep order on the planet. But now that they're not around, it's sort of, like, descended into, like, some mild chaos. And people like Zaray are able to come around and explore it and exploit it. Because there's nobody around to stop them. There's no Starfleet around to stop him. And, like, I begin to wonder, like, is this what the universe is? 
Like, Starfleet still exists, but they don't have the ships to sort of rein in some of the order around here. Yeah, I I mean, I think it could be that. It also just could be that we have to assume that these people have been moving around, and maybe he lived on a planet that once was. The thing I'm not quite sure about is the timeline, because... yeah. For the guy on the, um, I forget his name, but the Indian gentleman on the yeah, post. Yep, yep. I forget his name. Too, he yeah. said it was his grandfather who was actually in Starfleet. Right. And he was an older gentleman. Mm-hmm. So I would be surprised if this character we met this week remembered Starfleet being in power. Because it was two generations away for the other guy. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, he does say last week, though, there's only two active vessels in flight at the moment. So, yeah, I, yeah, it's very, it's contradictory in, in some ways, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting, but. Zeray, Zeray, of course, determines that Saru and Tilly are time travelers based on their items, and he even threatens to sell those items on the Tellarite black market, these antiques on the Tellarite black market. But mm-hmm. here's the thing. Something very interesting I found out I, I, that Zare said. He uses the term Vadresh in describing Tarun, Saru and, Sil, and Tilly. That's something that was said in the short trek Calypso. Really? Uh-huh. The main character, Kraft, refers to the Vaduresh. Now, Michael Chabon wrote that episode, wrote that short trek, Calypso. Oh. And Vaduresh is a type of linguic, lingui, linguistic distortion of the word federation. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's interesting. We may have to go back and watch that episode and sort of see if we can pull stuff out of there. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, and we get some, you know, we get some intercuts back to sort of the status of Discovery, which is Stamets, of course, making his way through the Jeffrey's tube to the damage relay. I, I got to say, that was the most uninteresting aspect of the episode, right? I just, I didn't find this. It just kept, they just kept cutting back to it to remind you what was going on with there. But like, he needs to repair the relay. I get it. I don't need to see him sort of struggling through the Jeffrey's tube, right? Yeah, I wasn't crazy about that either. I mean, if I I'm think a right. good, I think a good Star Trek, this, um, any Star Trek repair is more about figuring out the thing to do, right? Um, and being brilliant in the technical aspect, not just climbing through a tube. I mean, yeah. you know, and it was a good opportunity for like Reno to get in some good funny lines. But I mean, if I'm a writer, I understand that. Okay, I want to give at least every character something to do in the episode, but. They were just cutting back to it at the worst times. And I'm just thinking, like, okay, I don't need another few minutes of Stamets struggling and crawling through the Jeffreys, too. I said, this is just not interesting to me. Nothing against Anthony Rapper's acting ability, but this is just not something I'm interested in seeing right now. Because it's it's very... I, they have to repair the ship. That's why Saru and Tilly are out there. I don't need to actually see it and the struggles of it back on the ship itself. Right? Yeah. The show's I, called I Star Trek Discovery. They're going to repair the ship. I get it. It's going to get back into orbit. There's no threat of it not happening, so... Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of that, too, was just the uh, for Stamets to, yeah. you know, no, I'm committed to the ship, I'm, I'm injured, but I don't care, I'm gonna... 
fix the ship, which, yeah. you know, that's fine, I guess. But yeah, it didn't do anything. But Giorgio finally shows up. Yeah, I don't because, think it was any surprise that we knew that this was going to happen. George right, because once up. they were in trouble, that was my first thought. I was like, oh, okay, George was going to come save Right, she's going to come Of course, she the... didn't listen. Right. So I was acting kind of excited in, like, a, you know, when you're watching, like, the A-team, and you know the A-team's going to come and save the day. Well, I think it also has to do with... I never watched that show in my life, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'm older than you. I, that's true. That's true. I, I, and I agree with you. It... As soon as they were held up at gunpoint, I thought, okay, she's going to come right through the, that door. She didn't show up as quickly as I thought she would, but I knew that she was going to show up. And it also made me wonder, because even though this is a very unknown universe, unknown, uncertain future, what we've seen of it seems to be not too far off from what we see in the mirror universe. There's no order, nothing like that. And Giorgio seems to be kind of in her element. I mean, she even says it. I'm going to enjoy this new world. It doesn't feel like it's any different. It doesn't feel too dissimilar from where she came from. Right. Yeah. At home in this more um, aggressive kind of world. Yes, that does make sense. And she just has the killing ability that the rest of them don't. Right. Right. But... Here's the thing too. It remind this this moment kind of what was happening here is with Giorgio wanting to just sort of take matters into her own hands, be like the loose cannon that she normally is, and Saru trying to insist that no, we have to use Starfleet principles, Starfleet diplomacy. On my second watching viewing of it, mm-hmm. reminded me of this you watched it for the Voyager retrospective we did. The episode Alliances, where Janeway is trying to forge an alliance with the Kazon and then oh, things yeah. get out of control. Particularly that last scene when Janeway gives that speech to the crew where she says, this is a part of space that doesn't seem to have many rules. And she's saying, but we have to hold fast to our principles and ideals of the Federation. As far as I'm concerned, those are the best allies that we could have. I'm, I'm feeling a similar vibe with Voyager in that they're in this sort of lawless part of the galaxy and even though Saru is sort of like holding true to like, you know, we need to not forget who we are, we're Starfleet officers, you're kind of approaching a similar vibe to Voyager in that that may not work out here. Yeah, so you need to find the almost that middle ground. Like right. Did. And Giorgio is that sort of representation of that. That's not going to work. It seems like that's yeah. not going to work out here. Yeah. Right. But it seemed like my um, Saru was willing to Except that to a point, obviously he wanted to be rescued, but right. he wasn't willing to go to that next level of executing people. Right. I mean, he so, wasn't happy with what she did anyway. Right. But he did also join in the fight as well. Yeah, because you got to save your life. But you right. Know. So no, right. If this were Michael, she would have disintegrated everybody. Like last week. Yeah. I don't know no, if she would have fired why, first, though. And that's why I feel this is... The response this is almost the answer to everything I didn't like about last week. Right. I would like to see something from Michael of like, this is not the Starfleet way or something, but there was nothing. Well, there I was mean, no... Yeah, go ahead. But just on a whole, like, I'm beginning to wonder, like, is this show... is I mean, this season anyway, is it going to sort of unintentionally parallel with that aspect of Voyager? You're just a ship lost, for a better way, and, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, cut off from 
everything that you know. I mean, and then also deciding we need to hold true to our principles, but also they may not help us out here because it's very lawless. Like, I don't know. Is it going, is that only going to be, is that going to be the sort of repeating theme of the season? I think there's a difference. The difference is that, um, uh, Janeway never had the idea of establishing Starfleet in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. I mean, she was using, she would use it in some ways to try to forge alliances. I mean, that wasn't the first time she tried to do it. Right. But there was also the understanding that we're traveling, we're going to eventually travel out of this area of space. So, like, that yeah. alliance is going to be short-lived until we leave. Yeah, she never said, right. like, well, we're, because we need to maintain peace and order in this region of space. Right. Where gonna, I, yeah. It seems like that's what Discovery's going to do. Discovery is doing, Discovery's doing some world-building, kind of against the, that's the backdrop of this whole season, I think, is they're doing world-building. Jojo, of course, subdues everyone pretty quickly. Daylight's almost so, done. Let me, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. This was a type of scene that I love because it happens in every superhero movie almost where you have some bad people and the superhero is there who has the skill or the power and they underestimate the person. And we as the audience know, oh, you're about to get your butt kicked because we know how badass this person is. And then right. they get their butt kicked. It's a great, always works on me, those scenes. Well, and again, the sh- the scene, of course, was just ripe for JoJo to show up. And you wanted her to show up and just take care of all of them as a viewer. Because you know that she was not going to have any problem doing so. Yes. But when right. they even say, like, this is your security force, one one woman. <laughs> right. And, and you as a viewer, you're just like, oh, God. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> they don't have no idea what they're up against. Yeah. So. Yeah. They're, they're kind of, they see it's always working. I don't know how many times I see them. Right. Right. But now, unfortunately, the character that we got to know a little bit, Kal, gets killed by Zarei, which was very I was very unhappy about because I would have thought yeah, that he would have been cool. Pick him up as a crew member. Yeah. Right. So but they quickly subdue everybody. But they also learn from Zarei that Discovery is being enveloped, as I mentioned earlier in the episode. It's being enveloped into this I- in this sort of parasitic ice that happens faster at nighttime, and the ship is going to probably be permanently frozen in this glacier unless they don't get the- get out of there quickly. So that's, of course, that's the dilemma that we now find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. But obviously, now that they've subdued everybody, the bartender gives them a portable transporter. They instantly get back to Discovery because now that they have what they need. And they can go right back to Discovery. Stamets fixes the Jeff- the thing in the Jeffries 2. Everybody's happy. Yay, yay. Okay, the ship's all the ship's good now. <laughs> so I was like, okay, you could have just done this in one scene. I didn't need three build-up scenes to it. Yeah. So, um, as I said, I don't want to see Zarei again because his fate is kind of left unknown. He does leave... He says he won't survive out there at night, but I I have a feeling that we are going to see him again at some point. Oh, that would be a bummer. But I don't want him to be sort of like the the overall villain of the season, I guess. He would be a very lame big yeah. bad because he doesn't seem that big. Well, and also, like, he's a very he's a very corny. He felt, you know what he feels like? He feels like one of those, like, cheesy villains from, like, those 80s action movies. He feels like a, like a lethal weapon or a diehard villain. 
well, yeah, all right, Die Hard. That's you know, I mean, you're you're you're. Yeah. We'll see Die Hard out of this, but, but uh, okay, he feels like a, he, okay, he feels like a villain from like Executive Decision. From like I don't know what that is. From like so some okay. cheesy. Okay, I'll I'll go I'll go one further. He's like a cheesy villain from like those cheesy '90s action, those nondescript like Steven okay, Seagal. Really? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, something like Commando. Die, okay, I'm the sorry. Die Hard's a little bit too of a high profile movie. Those like cheesy yes. '90s Steven Seagal movies, right? That are just built around Steven Seagal being the awesome action hero. You populate with cheesy actors around him. That's what he felt like. He felt like a nondescript action '90s action movie villain. Yes, it was only because you. When you said Die Hard, you were you were comparing him to Alan Rickman, and Alan Rickman deserves better than that. Yeah, I forgot. I haven't seen Die Hard in a long time, so I, I forgot. I'm sorry. That's fair. <laughs> sorry, everybody. Maybe Who loves Die Hard? Yeah. So, so his so his fate is unknown. I I think he'll come. I I suspect he'll come back at least once at the worst time. But Giorgio does leave him with a threat that she will kill him. So. I mean, I don't imagine he's going to be, even if he does come back, I don't imagine he's going to be, he's not going to be like a con where he's going to bring them all to their knees, right? But I feel like he's going to come back in one of those moments where, like, they seem to have everything they need, they're about to succeed, and then, oh, we need one last hurdle, oh, here comes a ray to muck things up for us. So. Yeah, I hope not. And the fact that they're going to Earth and they're leaving the area, hopefully that will be at the end of it, you know. He does have a ship, though. That's the concerning oh, part. Yeah, they gotta have somebody better than him. I know. I just the thing is, I don't know if I want. Like, I don't want a big over-the-top villain. That's true too. That would sort of take away from it if they actually had a villain they had to defeat. It's, the villain should just be the um, the lawlessness that has been the disorder that has taken over. Right. That should be the villain. Right. Totally. Hearts and minds. They have to win hearts and minds. Yes, absolutely. But but do we trust that we're going to get that from Discovery, the action? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, if they're going to be rebuilding the Federation, you have to assume that in order to make the plot in, a little bit more interesting, they need to have some kind of opposing force that wants to stop them from doing that. That's true, that's true. But, but you can't conquer people into being in the Federation. So yeah, it's just someone trying to undermine their what they're doing. And right, maybe it'll also be that when they finally win, it'll be very... Um, Return of the Jedi, where like the common people rise up with them to defeat the evil empire. Common people yeah. here being Ewoks. I just think like it would be really refreshing if it wasn't an actual person. Yes. Right. Where like if you just cut off its head, it's done, and everything. Yeah, it would be better if it was a sentient blob. Because I feel like what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Horta that they're, they're going to be. I I just think that. The Herculean task in front of them. I can't imagine that that's something that would be all under sort of like the influence of just one person who's preventing all of this from being built up. Yeah, no way. Especially right. not a, this guy seems really like a low-level warlord to me. Because if you were a high-level, like high-level people don't show up at a bar to like do their business. But see, the interesting thing is, and this is one of my questions about him, he said he's a courier. And I'm like, is he a courier for someone? Oh, well then, yeah, he would be a courier for someone. Like, but Book was a courier, too. What's that? Book was a courier, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hmm. Oh, they know each other. Uh, you just, yeah, you just made me wonder. What if they? Yeah, I didn't even you think imagine of that. if Michael is working for him, or like somehow him oh and she book. Oh, oh shit. That's a I fucking red alert right there. That's great. Oh, that'd be awesome. Like, seriously. Okay, so well, let me finish all the plot first, and we'll discuss that. Okay. So they get back to Discovery. Everything's fixed. They're trapped in the glacier. I don't think they're going to get out. And just in time, a tractor beam comes down, pulls Discovery out. And who is it? It's Michael. Yeah, but first they freaked out. They're like, oh, my God. Yeah. And yeah. Michael, and we learn that Michael has been in the galaxy, has been there for about a year. Waiting for them. And that's yes. all it's been. Yeah. So. But, but here's the thing that confused me because when she shows up on screen, I think she has different braids than when we last saw her. And Chili yeah. says, Michael, you look. And then she stops. Saru actually says that. Was it? Okay. Yeah. And that's so okay. my thought was that they were going to say, you look older. So I looked closely to see if she had gray hair or something. And. I didn't notice her looking any different except for her hair being different, which is not indicative yeah. of a long period of time passing. So, I mean, they, they they mention a year in the initial New York Comic Con teaser trailer from 2018. But, I mean, you raise an interesting point, right? Like, I think it would have been far more interesting character-wise if she was actually there for, like, say, 10, 15, 20 years yeah. or something like that imagine if they replaced her with i mean i wouldn't want to see cynical martin green go but if they replaced her with the woman who played her mom yeah that would have been interesting because discovery needs a captain right and i feel like it's going to be michael as much as we may not want it i feel like it's going to be her is she and the highest ranking person now? I, I just think that i don't even think it's a it's a question of rank i just think it's just given the way that sort of the character journey of her since the beginning of the show, I just yeah. think that it's going to be Michael. Right. Even though what we've seen of her from season one and two seems to be now just in the past, figuratively and literally, I still think it's going to be Michael. I mean, Sinequa Barton Green is the star of the show. I know, but I just, I don't think she, I don't think she would be right to be a captain. I mean, I don't, I don't think we've seen anything in her character to make her, Seem like she should be the captain. Well, she's, this is she's very emotional. She breaks down all over everything, mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. Like we talked about, maybe it's just they're making a character who who is a flawed person, and that's that's okay. Yeah. All right, then can we speculate now? Yes. Okay, so <laughs> that makes me think. Said, what if they what if they show up and Michael is actually like, oh, I'm so glad we picked you up guys up because we're actually picking up our boss right now. He's down on the planet somewhere. You know, and it's that it's the villain, her books boss. Yeah, so I, I I like that idea that book and and Zare could be from the same organ part of the same organization. Yeah, um, I really like that idea a lot. And I like that we more, just stumbled on that. Yeah, yeah. There's one more speculation because I mentioned how I think Giorgio. It's got to be something ulterior motives, right? Right. What if Giorgio is going to pull back, back 
behind the scenes things and make sure that Michael does become captain because she knows she has an influence on her because of her quote unquote relationship. I don't think I follow you. So let's say she, she seems this whole obsession with Mike, it's very weird to me. And even immediately it's like when the ship, we have to find Michael right away. It's, well, it's, weird that it, it's, it's weird because it seems so sudden. Cause that wasn't, that didn't seem to be the case last season. Right. Yeah. So my thought is what happens if she's doing this because she knows once Michael's on the ship, Michael will become captain for whatever the rules are, maybe. I don't know. And Giorgio wants that because she knows that her and Michael have a special connection and she'll be able to have more influence over her than Saru. Hmm. I mean, it's interesting. I don't I don't really quite know what to say to that, though. Yeah, just a thought. It would be, a, it would be an ulterior motive that I, you know, um, hadn't considered but it could be one but then again if she really wanted to be gone she could have left him there to die though i think the working for the with the courier makes more sense because he's a courier books a courier um chances are michael is still with book she wouldn't have a ship otherwise right i'm just i'm really really into that idea that book and zare work for are in the same organization what a reveal that would be huh yeah it just it and after I, that I, after that encounter that they just had, yeah. I, and and I just I feel like where we are now, it just makes sense. Get that out there so we get credit for predicting the. the show. Yeah, I, I. I mean, I don't think we see much evidence of it, but for some reason, it just to me makes sense. It just it seems to make perfect sense that that would be the case. Yeah, two things. He says he's got a ship out there. Yeah. Not a lot of ships around. Yep. He's a courier, books a courier. Yep. I mean, th- well, that's the biggest thing, probably. Yeah. And as soon as they, as soon, and, and so the ship is there. So, unless there are two ships cruising around the planet, which seems like in this world, that's not all that common. Yeah. It's like, it makes sense, but I have like no evidence to back it up. It just, in my head, it just makes sense. Oh, I think we got to say, and plus, just think about the conflict that would, that would then arise because, yeah. Um, we already know Saru is holding on to, so they, actually, this would make the first episode be better. In my eyes, too, because now we yeah. know the room is holding on to Starfleet. We already know Michael doesn't give a poop about it. She mm-hmm. is disintegrating people left and right. As soon as it became a, a, a world of, you know, um, doggy dog, she was just down for it. Yeah. So it makes sense after what we saw of her behavior in the first episode, other than the whole Starfleet bit that she's been. Oh, yeah. Cause, no, but then there's the last scene. It would be in keeping with every part of the last episode except the end. Hmm. Okay. How has she survived? I'm gonna. I'm gonna stick with it though. Okay. I'm gonna stick with it. If it's not, I'll be disappointed. But I mean, I think it's just because it, it 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 opens up the opportunity for some really raw character drama right there, and I just think that. Again, yeah, it, because it, yeah, Theru is immediately going to throw it at her. Like, Michael, what are you doing? And she, and she can say, I had to survive. You, you don't know. You weren't here. You were blah blah blah. You just got here. You don't know what this world is like. Oh, it'd be great. Yeah, it's like it's it's just this idea of Michael gets thrown into the future. Discovery gets thrown into the future, and even though they're in the same place, they 
between them, they have entirely different experiences. What Michael yeah. may see as somebody that is potentially good, Discovery sees the ugly side of it. Yeah, or she may know, but she realized she had no choice, or she felt she had no choice. Yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. That that it's it's a it's extremely it's 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 juicy. It's juicy is it's what juicy. it is. It's juicy. Yeah, I hope that happens. That's very juicy. Yeah. Right for conflict. So here's the other thing though that I'm wondering about because they they do allude to the burn again. Zoray says, I'm glad the burn happened. Again, I don't really have any evidence to back this up. Oh, yeah. I'm beginning to feel like the burn happened more recently. Yeah. Yeah, because what did he say? Like, in the world before the burn, I didn't have much going on. But in this new world, after the burn, I'm a powerful person. Like, because Book says the burn happened over 100 years ago. 100, 130 years ago, I think he says. But I'm beginning to feel like it happened more recently and you were the one believing that book was somehow tied to it anyway yeah and so, i thought he said 12 years but i think i was mistaken but at the same time like maybe he is connected but the burn also don't forget it was the dilithium that went up and they need dilithium yeah, yeah. so well, I, I can't yeah but, but here's a good thing the reason I thought it would be good for books to be involved was because I wanted that conflict. Right. But if we get Michael being involved now, we get that same type of conflict, but even better because it's the Discovery crew and Michael. Right. But well, it's the same type of conflict where you, you want to trust someone, but they're involved in this thing that's terrible. And so what do you do? Well, and also it seems to me that, I mean, we got some dilithium last week. So, like, it's not like all the dilithium is gone. Right. They found dilithium Definitely fragments. Difficult to acquire. So, like, is it... Yeah, like, is someone hoarding it? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you can hoard an entire galaxy it seems like dilithium, there was... but, yeah. Yeah. The impression I get is that it's just there's not much left, or you have to, like, mine it and then process it, and because there's not... Most of the technology is gone. Like, that's hard to do. Well, it's like I said. God help everybody who was on Ruripenthe when all the dilithium exploded, because that's where you yeah. mine dilithium, so... Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, two episodes in, obviously, so many unanswered questions. Here's my last question. So, obviously, the Section 31 series, which I we think is still happening, I think we asked this question at one point. Does Giorgio establish Section 31 in this new world? Or, and I'm just basing this off of something she said to none, she said she likes to sort of hop galaxies. She likes I mean, what? Hop to, to sort of jump from different galaxies. Yeah. You know, am I to infer that she will eventually return to the 23rd century? Right, or that it'll be like... The multiverse. Yeah, because section thirty-one, which actually goes back to that article from Medium or Inverse, I forget which one, mm-hmm. claiming that they think it will be a time travel section thirty-one show. Right. Um, which would be interesting, and that would involve universe hopping or galaxy hopping. Well, and also the only theory that I could come up with, because you and I were speculating one time, like not during the podcast, but we were like, you know, what the hell's up with the section thirty-one show? Are we even got to learn anything about it. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I could come up with that seemed to make sense to me anyway, but I mean, 
was I wondered if the reason we're not learning about it is because it potentially gives some stuff away about this season of the show. So, like, if you announce it and say, oh, uh, what's-his-face <clears throat> who played Tyler is going to be on the show. Right. Or, Lore- or like, yeah. Or whatever like, time period it's set in, you're going to know, oh, George O goes to that it time tells, period. Yeah, so. it's, it's, it, it not only tells you that George O survived, but I don't think there's any question that she wouldn't. But she eventually made her way out of that, yeah. Yeah. But I guess you could say it with I mean just knowing that there's a show lets right. you know that she gets up somehow. Right. There's that you too. Could, you could say it in a way that just say there's a show, here's who's gonna be in it or something. I don't know. I just yeah. Yeah, I mean I I, it's too much between now and then. It's too much between now and then. I just think that I think they're hesitant to announce it to announce more details on it for that reason. But at the same time I just I've never seen them withhold information on a show because it hinders on something else. And, again, it's the only thing I could think of. I don't know if it's there's even a shred of truth to that. But, that's yeah, that's all I could think of. They just They are not saying anything about it because it would reveal at least her fate this season. And they like to keep these things under lockdown. So, but, as you yeah. said, in all these Star Trek Day panels, we're not seeing anything... We're not seeing any Section 31 panel. You said that Kurtzman at one point sort of brought the show up as an afterthought. Yes, hilariously. So it's, <laughs> I would say, like, it's not frustrating. It's kind of, for me, it feels, like, concerning. Well, I, here's, what, here's a, I think the positive spin would be um, they're going to have probably um, uh, Strange New Worlds hmm. season maybe another Picard season or maybe another lower deck season before section 31. So it's like, right. don't bother promoting something when we have still have three seasons of television before it, we'll, we'll promote it when it gets closer. When it gets It'd closer, be a waste yeah. of time right now. I think that's the positive spin. If you, if you think that the show is positive. <laughs> well, and I mean, and it might just be the case that there just isn't much movement on the show right now. I don't think it means that it's not happening. They just, yeah, I mean, there may not be, much movement on it. Yeah, I mean, not much to, um, not much to report. Yeah. So, but I think overall, I, I was, I, I liked the episode this week. I'm, obviously I'm ready for more, but, you know, you wanted to see Michael and the Discovery crew reunite, and now you feel like, okay, now we're together, let's get this train out of the station and start moving. So, and it seems like we're going to get a little bit of that next week in next week's episode titled People of Earth. Yeah, so we're going to go to Earth, which is pretty interesting, I guess. Yeah. Because, yeah, here's the thing that makes it kind of not that interesting. Because this is something we talk about all the time. You don't know much about Earth outside of San Francisco in the Star Trek future. Right. So, be able to compare it to anything except our owners, unless they go to San Francisco, which is probably what they're going to do. Yeah, that would make the most sense. But I think what I'm what I'm wanting to see is okay. Michael and Discovery have arrived, but what is that sort of first contact with Starfleet? 
right? Right. When they say, hey, like, in other words, they go to Earth thinking they're at safe haven, safe harbor, and then... Could be Mad Max. It could be... Oh, no. Right. Right. What What is that What is that moment of contact where they arrive and say, and they talk to somebody in Starfleet and say, here's who we are, here's where we came from, here's what happened, what do we yeah. do? What's going on? Right. And right. who knows if there even is still a fleet high command or whatever the heck they call it. Right. I mean, we see them get, we've seen in the trailers, they get new badges. Oh, they do? So. Something. Yeah. So, and, but it also puts in mind of the episode yesterday's Enterprise when they're, when we're in the alternate timeline and the Enterprise C is there and then they're trying to figure out, there's a moment where they try to figure out what to do with the Enterprise C and Riker's like, I'd hate to scrap it. We could sure use another ship. But it was, mm. it's sort of like that idea, well, what do we do? The ship's 24 years old. In Discovery's case, they're 930 years old. Like, what do we do with it? Right? Yeah. We don't have many ships out there. We could use another one. Right? Is there going to be some kind of, like, jerry-rigging it with updated 930-year technology? I don't know. Are they going to use the programmable matter to, to do something with it? I don't know. How do you, how do you upgrade a I ship know. that's almost 1,000 years old? Right? Right, programmable matter. It, it seems like you just dump a bunch on the floor and it just does. What right, you it want just it. does whatever. Right. Yeah. Can you yeah. program? Can you build a whole ship with that? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Who knows? That's the thing. If they have programmable matter, they can't make dilithium. Um. <laughs> it's like. Uh oh. Yeah. Did maybe I? You can't make matter. Did I find a problem? Well, uh, you know, maybe all it can do is make shapes. It can't make like. Oh yeah, I'm sure there were I'm sure there were rules to this fake technology, but yeah. Yeah, you can only really see it in one form. It's not like it's changing into gas and then liquid and. Mm. I guess. Yeah. I hope I didn't. Uh, yeah, but overall, I, I have to say, um, feeling much better about the season after this episode. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, me too. So. But we're going to be back next week to discuss People of Earth. In the meantime, you can write us at instartrekwetrust at gmail.com, and you can tweet us at Star Trek We Trust. And in the meantime, you can listen to our other podcast, Primetime Oddities, and which is on Apple Podcasts and a couple other places that I can't remember, but it's out there. And we also have the Mandalorian podcast coming up. Mandalorian this week? coming soon. This week? Is it this week? Yeah, it is. Uh, this Thursday week being, night. yeah, yeah. We're a week behind. It, it airs Thursday the 30th. Thursday the 30th. Is Thursday the 30th? Let's see. No, no Thursday's the Friday. 29th. Oh, Friday. That's good. It's not the same night as Discovery List. Right. So we've got that coming up, too. So Yes. So tune in for we're really going to be having the Armory and in Star Trek we trust Mandalorian podcast. I kind of cut you off. It's called Voices in the Armory or from the Armory. Voices from the Armory colon a in Star Trek we trust Mandalorian podcast. That makes so much sense. <laughs> we're really going to be having a Star Wars versus Star Trek podcast going on here because we're going to be doing both. <laughs> Yeah, well, we're not yeah, saying no, which one is better. Everybody gets along. Everybody gets. Everybody gets along. But this, but you know, not to put too fine a point on it, this Mandalorian podcast is really going to be your baby. 
You yeah, and I are switching me. roles. I, so yeah, I, um, yep, sure, sure. I'm the student this time. Yes. Yes. So all right, everybody. Well, we'll be back next week, and we'll see you then. Later, skaters. Peace out.